Hey, you. See, I thought I'd go for a very energetic intro there because um, this is a very energetic film. You are listening to the best of worst of British. My name is Michael Bell. I'm the best one. But I can't review films on my own. That would be ludicrous. So I have to have two uh, colleagues to help me out. Let's go by height order. Tall this first, please. Oh, that's clearly me then. I am the six foot five man mountain that is known as Thomas Hodkinson. Hello. I recently measured myself in my trainers and it came to 5'10", much to my surprise. So I'm claiming that on my dating profile. And by the dating profile of whom you might be asking, especially the ladies, it is Lorca Mullen. Today we are reviewing a film called Mad Cows. There are special moments in life that change everything. But not always for the better. Maddie, Maddie, darling! Did they take your brains out at the same time as your baby? Face it, darling. Alex thinks paternity suits the latest look in Armani. Let's keep in touch. Maddie is a single parent who's finding motherhood a bit of a handful. Jack, you've got to learn to eat more. This is agony. Now, a little misunderstanding. I was putting them down my brow because my breasts ache. Has landed her in a whole lot of trouble. Would you sign this? Just signs! The paper's ours! The adoption papers. I want adoption papers! Please, Joey, you've got to get him out of here. How'd you propose I get him out? In my handbag? Because when you're left holding the baby. Oh, God, who'd have thought I could be bored by a younger man? Don't be surprised. I have your baby grandson. If things get messy. I'm appealing to you as a mother and an illegal immigrant and a shoplifter and a prison escapee. Please help. You make yourself sound irresistible. President Alex got the best penis. You know, some have bends in them, don't they? I don't do tongues, armpits, toes, nothing to do with elbows, and no fellatio. Clogs my sinuses. This whole thing with her and the baby caused me to have a breakdown. Well, I must have been so tired that I left the radio on all night and in the morning the car wouldn't start. Hold on, let me get this straight. The car had a breakdown. Yeah, it was awful. No, it's not about the 90s uh, cow disease. That, you know, what was it? They were eating beef or something? Don't, don't yeah. feed. Don't feed cows beef. I think it was alluding to it, though. Yeah, it's not a... Um... It's one of those clever titles. It's a it's a yeah. play on words, Mike. I was hoping it was going to be a documentary about that, that um, particular time in our lives, but no, it's not. It's a film, so it's a shame, really. We won't be seeing any Tory MPs jamming burgers into their kids' mouths. Although we'll see prospective Lib Dem MPs shoving things into people's mouths, so, you know, that's something. Uh-huh. Satire! Wow. So, yeah, this is a film starring um, you two. Anna Friel and Joanna Lumley and Greg Wise, otherwise known as Mr. Emma Thompson. Oh, are they married? Yes. Oh. She made the wise choice in that situation. Get in the bin. With two DVD copies, at least, of Mad No, Cows. no. Just in the bin, on your own, because you know you've done. There are quite a few actors with reputations until they did this film as well. Prunella Scales from Faulty Towers, of course. Yeah. And the Tesco adverts. And the Tesco adverts. Hermione Norris from Cold Feet. Yes, that's true, yes. And oh, uh, also a couple of British supermodels as well at, at one point. Quite a few, surprisingly. 
So we also just say a quick one about how uh, we, it was very hard to get our hands on this film. Usually there's somewhere you can get it online, but this film is of so little uh, respect. It doesn't seem like there's either legal or illegal means to stream it. So what it led to was me taking a search through um, the uh, Amazon of secondhand shops that is CEX or WeBuy.com, which led to me in one day traveling from Wolverhampton to Coventry in order to get my hands on three DVD copies and then dropping a copy each off at each of our houses. And I must have the most bizarre, talked-about CEX account amongst all the CEX employees at this point. I also was like, I don't want them to think I'm just buying this. So, like, at each place I was getting, like, a Blu-ray of The Exorcist or uh, I think I got Celine and Julie Go Boating, a BFI film. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what the hell they think I am? I don't know. We'll probably start noticing there's loads of copies of Mad Cows in all CEX <laughs> now because there's a big demand. <laughs> We're having a rush! <laughs> quick, guys! Quick. <laughs> We've got to get on the frail train! <laughs> this deserves a 25th anniversary re-release, guys! We knew it would be a cult classic one day! Lovely's a hot commodity, <laughs> snap on it! <laughs> Like I know in the old in the the Ellis James and John Robbins XFM show, the old uh, yeah, their old podcast, they used to read out Tony Blackburn's autobiography that was like three p, and because the demand was so much, it's now like two hundred pounds on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> You've done this for Mad Cow. I think Robin Inns did a similar thing for Sid Little's autobiography. Oh, okay, with the wonderful title "A Little Goes a Long Way." Oh, that is superb. We're doing that thing where we um talk about anything else oh, other oh, than the film. before we get into it though uh the dvd copy that lorcan bought <laughs> for me i literally put it into my laptop to play it and my laptop spent six minutes not even recognizing it as a film it refused <laughs> to acknowledge it until i demanded it must be seen it took me more than six minutes to recognize anything in this that could make it be considered a film oh because it wasn't like edited competently written competently <laughs> directed competently and we'll see you next week that is our review thank you very much for uh, joining <laughs> us i've been michael bell one of the other things i love about the dvd of which i had three rattling about in my bag at one point <laughs> was that the big advertising pull it had on its front cover was including 16 minutes of extra bonus features. <laughs> I, I, did, I did watch some of the bonus features, and uh, it's a horrific interview oh. that they've done with the director, and they've cut it so badly. Isn't it terrible? <laughs> so it's like, so they just sort of ask questions on the, on the screen in text, and then she sort of says va- something vaguely about it, but then they cut her off mid-sentence. It's so it's bad. It's so poorly put together. I think what they're intended for, those things, so, like, they go to TV channels, like, all around the world, like, movies, games, and videos would have been one in ITV when I was a kid growing up. And they, the electronic press kits are what they're called. And so they're, they're given those weird choppy edits because they just need a couple of sentences, and it's to help editors know where to look and that to get it, but... It's just sound bites at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, and the shoddiness of the editing, though, is fitting with the with the film itself. It kind of gave them a heads up, I suppose, of what to expect. And that's one of the crazy things, though, that the producers are interviewed, and they're like, oh, we got the cinematographer for Lahane and the costume designers for all these other... And it was like, what an amazing crew you got together. What what happened? <laughs> How did this happen? Because it's funny, the director had a bit of a solid art house reputation before this. I think she won some major awards for short films that she'd done. And she is an interesting woman. I remember I was when I was a student in Aberystwyth, because she's from Wales, she did an interview 
for a film festival that was going on in Aberystwyth, like a little short film festival. And she did genuinely seem like an interesting woman who had a, who had a fascinating like life growing up. But I think this is a situation where everyone was so excited to be making a film. It was like the first film for the producers, first film for the directors. And I think it's just one of those ones when you hear the nightmares of when they do the first assembly cut and they realise, oh, the thing we thought we were filming, we weren't filming that. And they might have just blown it all and they were never able to recover. You know, reshoots? What a reshoots! Oh, we made a piece of shit. Oh, fuck. You quite liked it, though, didn't you, Mike? I uh, saw nothing wrong with it. It feels kind of like a bridge between Fat Slags and Honest. It's kind of somewhere in between those two, I think. We do not mention Fat Slags ever again. Fat Slags, Fat Slags, Fat Slags, Fat Slags. Don't make me leave. Oh, God, I've said it three times and never arrived. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Bloody hell, wasn't expecting that. Anyway, the film. Anyway, the film. So, it starts with a lovely little intro song, and uh, there is also various cows, different colour cows, walking through London, and people are walking backwards as well, Um, so that makes it arty. The rest of the intro is Anna basically being a struggling mother, and with that, with her arriving, we have the first entry of our actors who have been in Corrie, Brookie, Casualty, or Holby, with her being in Brookie, so... Point. Is that a record? Probably, yes. I think we had one. Uh, oh, God, what film was it? It doesn't matter. But uh, there was someone from uh, Holby, like, within the first five seconds. But I think um, Anna is wins this one. It's, it's interesting, though, with Anna Friel, because I was looking... Because when we were thinking of things for Dwoodwood, because obviously Anna Friel was a huge name at the time in the 90s, you know, especially after Brookside. Uh, what's There are a couple of things that are really notable. One was she never had much of a film career. It just never took off for her. She's one that could have become a huge star. She was like Will Ferrell's romantic lead in um, Land of the Lost. Just one of those Will Ferrell films where you're like, oh, okay. That's 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 a 50p buy at CEX. And that's whilst it's still on at the cinema. Hey-oh. <laughs> um, uh, she was in a really, uh, really like cult hit TV show as well called Pushing Daisies. I remember that. Which I remember, I remember seeing the pilot for and thinking, like, well, they've had to explain a lot of rules to this, but it looks like it's got potential. But I just never got around to watching it. What's also striking, though, is how young she was when she first became famous. Like, in Brookside, I think she must have only been, like, 16, 17. Because you know how old she is at this point in Mad Cows? Um, she looked 24? Young, considering she's playing a mum. She's 22 at this oh, point. Yeah. I would have guessed 22. So she's still only, like, I think she's only in her mid-40s now. Still, um, still plugging away. But it seems like she was just one of those actors that her best stuff will always be on television. For just some reason, it didn't work for her in film. And maybe this was one of the first signs. It's not going to be for you, love. <laughs> Didn't she also have a really popular... ITV drama a few years ago, like Marcella or something like that. Yeah, I think she's just going to be one of those great actors that ca- that are able to survive post soap opera, like Sarah Lancashire. And you know what? If she's our if she's our little secret, then that's absolutely fine by me. Yeah, it's a good little secret to keep. All right, so where are we in the film, Michael? The start. Please continue. <laughs> oh, can I just say about that at the start in the opening sequence? Um, there's a man that dances around and like wiggling his ass to the camera. I was my note was was he part of the film? Did he know what was, or was going there on? just <laughs> did he know, did he think he was like catching a camera for like Beatles about or something like that? But also the filming was quite psychedelic because they used really different colors and cows around the street and people walked backwards to signify that uh, Anna Frell's character was 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 was, was mad. No. No. <laughs> um it's very <laughs> Sorry professor please no. explain how I'm incorrect. <laughs> 
He disputes uh, your premise, Tom. She's not mad. She's just... The, I mean, the opening scene, it's just showing that she's a struggling mother. That's like straight away, which is what I liked about it. There's no thinking. Right? You are straight <laughs> in. You know exactly You know exactly every role immediately. I enjoyed it. Jesus Harold Christ. When I do these, I look at the times first. So it was 85 <laughs> minutes. Perfect. Then we got in straight away. All right, there's some cows walking that are different colours. Perfect. And the first scene is her shouting at the father for not being around to help her while her pram gets destroyed. I was like, yep, perfect. Struggling mum. I can get on board with this. You have no idea how partridge you're becoming. I don't care. I've been listening to a lot of partridge recently. Or six <laughs> or six months ago. His new po- his podcast is Oh, it is. But... It really is. When you hear stories about trouble shoots and, and a film edit being hacked to the bone, you're like, sign me up! <laughs> Jonah Hex, 79 minutes, that's my kind of movie. It really is. For these ones specifically, I mean, the clues in the title, it's the worst of British. They're not going to be good. They took 40 minutes at the Fantastic Four, lay it on me. So what you appreciate about these bad movies is when they're efficient in their badness. Yes. It knows what it is, it's awful from the start and it stays there. If it's over 90 minutes, I'm going I'm going to 1.5 speed. <laughs> that is my policy. But that was that was the funny thing though what you're saying there Mike was that she's not mad. That's the big problem with this film. It's tonal whiplash. There's no consistency in what they're trying to be. And there's also no consistency in her character. It's meant to be about that she's going through some sort of mania, but you said it yourself. She doesn't really seem that way. So that's like a failure on the film's front. I did not pick up on that whatsoever. Exactly. <laughs> that's I, what we're I, here That's for. why we're here. And I enjoyed it. I just thought, I just thought it, was like, a, it was a light-hearted caper. We're like, we're like the parents picking up the bowl of spaghetti for the infant, f- wildly flailing it around. <laughs> putting the dish on its head look i don't like to think about films all right this t- this, <laughs> this gave me everything i need to know it's fine right so we're on we're on about three seconds in anna is outside like i say shouting at the father for not being around and she's holding a baby in one hand and a how to look after your baby book in the other perfect and there's a pram out of eye shot and as she's shouting uh the bin men arrive and they pick up the pram and take it away anna is sad that is the first scene. There we go. See, that sums up that that tells you what you need to know straight away. It's an upset mother struggling at life. Perfect. She gets the pram back again, and she's just struggling in general. And Joanna Lumley arrives in a posh car, drinking champagne, being Joanna Lumley. This is Lumley at the height of her ab fab fame. Call it Lumliness. Peak loneliness in this film. And she is just playing Eddie. That is essentially what she's playing in this film. Less of an aggressive version of Eddie. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, fair play. You know, people get um, typecast all the time, fair enough. That's what he wanted. It's it's end of 90s. She's probably just got off AbFab. Fair play. Give give the people what they want. I feel like in the script they were like, we want a Joanna Lumley type. She'll do it? Oh, all right. (laughs) I can't see anything wrong with that, you know. No, but it's just funny when you just see ones where it's just... like They kind of know what they are and they're going to milk it. Which is... And I'm not criticising it. But it's just just curious when you see that. When you just see... um, well, you just see certain actors embrace who they are and then just, like, go with it the whole way after a while. Yeah, but that's like 90% of actors. Johnny Depp's always going to play a weirdo goth, you know. Tom Cruise <laughs> is going to run everywhere. Bruce Willis is going to jump out of things. That's all actors. I think Johnny Depp and Tom Cruise both think they're more versatile than they are. Do they? <laughs> What's the difference with this character? Well, this one wears a bigger hat than the last one. Oh, This okay. one's an actual vampire. Mm. 
I take these hats very seriously. I guess for Joanna Lumley, this one's like, oh no, this one's very different. She drinks a Sauvignon instead of, a, I don't know, a second fancy alcohol name. So I stopped at that point. Um, not blue nun. Uh, green nun? White lightning. <laughs> Gold nun? Gold nun. Yeah, that's fancy. That's fancy. Gold nun. So I wouldn't, I guess I would have, what, copper nun. That's probably as far as I'd be able to get the stretch as far as. I'll take dirt nun. (laughs) I'll have platinum, of course. Um, (laughs) You fucking wish. Look at Mr. Homeowner. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So again, reason why I like it, Joanna Lumley arrives, like I say, in a posh car, drinking champagne. Uh, So she's rich. And Anna is struggling with a broken pram. That plot's done instantly. I know these characters. Do they ever explain how they're friends? Those no, two? they have no, no explanation whatsoever. Joanna, anyway, it turns out, is escaping uh, like a fraud case and she's trying to go away with a rich man who will give her money. Off the back of that, Anna jumps on a bus and the cause play. Yeah, that was the other jarring thing. You know that this is a film from the late 90s when they just rammed the film with as much hits for the soundtrack yeah, it, CD it, it as they like can. feel like a soundtrack with a film attached. Yeah, I, I love this soundtrack. It's... Whether it's whether it's thematically appropriate, because I think during the cause thing, like she's going through very emotional things, saying how her life's turned to shit and all this stuff. Like it's awful, and the but the music is like yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything is wonderful. <laughs> yeah. We're the cause. Here's a woman <laughs> that looks like Ruby Wax having a bad time. We couldn't get Helen the Bonham Carter. It'd be like Manchester by the Sea being soundtracked by S Club Seven. <laughs> Reach for the stars oh. <laughs> have a word with yourself <laughs> a very long depressing word with yourself by watching Manchester by the Sea yeah now one thing I noticed here for the first scene with Joanna Lumley is that all her lines sounded dubbed in they were it didn't sound like she was actually there yeah that's another recurring feature of Bowob films short running times and terrible dubbing post production <laughs> And Anna Friel's horrific accent just grated on me throughout the entire thing. Is she not Australian? I genuinely thought she was. No, she's <laughs> she's very, very English. And again, this is the late 90s, the peak of us just taking um, whatever home and away or neighbours actresses, bringing them over, bringing them over for a panto and a pop single. I thought the accent was good then. I genuinely thought she was Australian. Michael, Michael, you thought that it was a good Australian accent from uh, Julia Sawala in Time Gentleman Plays. Yeah, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. <laughs> She's perfectly Aussie. That's the weird thing as well in this film, that everyone keeps mistaking her accent. Again, I'm wondering if that was just whilst they were filming it in between takes. Are you a New Zealander? Are you a South African? <laughs> Are you from Gloucester? <laughs> Some people sometimes think I sound Australian. I was uh, interviewing a comedian once, and she thought I thought she thought over the phone that I was from Australia. So there we go. I've I've been accused by several Americans of being Irish. Wow! I had to remind her they they don't grow them this big out there. <laughs> yeah, I reckon we can knock this out in an hour. <laughs> well, maybe if you hurried the fuck up. Oh yeah, yeah, because I was the one stopping it there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you sound fucking Australian. Great. All right. So, in the space of half a bus trip, Joanna Lumley has had the bailiffs over and they've taken over loads of their, her possessions. I mean, she left the flat about a minute ago, got on a bus, hasn't even finished the bus journey yet, and the bailiffs come over. Anyway, anyway, the point is, Brimful of Asher starts playing. It's 1998. <laughs> Corner shop with a touch of uh, Norman Cook about it. Anna, whose name's actually Maddie, apparently. Anna Frail. Anna Frail, but her name is Maddie in this film. No, but she's Anna she Frail. Well, no, she is called Maddie in it, though, so. 
but she's Anna Frank. In my notes, it really alternates like every other uh, time okay. she mentioned. <laughs> sometimes it's the character name, sometimes it's Anna Freya. Maddie is arrested in a shop. Oh, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. You are jumping over a very significant point here. Am I? Yeah, she goes to ask directions from someone from Harrods. Oh, yes. And it's Mohammed Al-Fucking-Fayed playing a member of his own staff. That shows how much interest I had in it. Well, do you remember when we did the Diana, the, the yes. film? Uh, yes. We were talking about Mohammed Al-Fayed and how he expected to be playing himself in that film. It's like, no, mate, we saw you in Mad Cows. Why did I put that on my CV? Okay, interesting fact. Mohammed Al-Fayed has only acted in two things. This was one of them. What was the other? Well, I remember he, he did a whole thing with Ali G on his TV show, so I'm going to guess Ali G in the house. But no, uh, in Ali G appeared as himself. One of the scripted show. Show or film? Yeah, scripted show. Oh, as an act, as a character? Yeah. I don't know, oh, East bloody e- EastEnders. The only other thing he's appeared in is Dream Team. <gasps> oh, nice. <laughs> playing the character of Mohammed El-Fayed. Nice. Ah, oh, but he was, alright, okay. Was he trying to? Uh, was he trying to own Harchester or something? No, I I think at this point he was the Fulham owner and he was trying to like ne- negotiate a transfer. Oh god, we we still that's a long term project that we will work on. We need to find that archive, guys. It must be. I really somewhere. do. I've tried. I've I have tried looking. I can't see anything. It is hard to come by. Somewhere in an underground bunker. It's just the entire tape library. There's a few episodes of on YouTube. I think I think half of series four is on Daily Motion. I mean, I've written to the old production company. I will legit do it if we can find. Oh, I'm I'm into. Well, I I did email the old production company, but I haven't had any reply in six months. So ah. I'm assuming that email doesn't well, exist. <laughs> I don't think they exist anymore. Well. It's a very complicated legal thing of companies buying out companies along the way. It probably will turn out it's owned by, like... probably turn out it's owned by Harrods now. They've got a dream team room. I knew I would get to them eventually. Now I am the king of the Duggins. <laughs> How dare they up the price by 500000 at the last minute. We really don't want to talk about this one. But not a lot. Not a lot actually happens, but a lot happens, if you know what I mean. She goes to Harrods and asks for directions to the food hall, uh, goes wrong, and ends up in a little tiny little supermarket, like a little corner shop. She then, her boobs hurt because she's just been breastfeeding, and she grabs a a bag of frozen peas and puts them down the top. Rather than explaining the situation, um, or paying for the peas, the shopkeeper just assumes she's trying to steal them and then is arrested. That's like the big... (laughs) Uh, sort of plot twist in this. Anyway, so she's in the police um, cell. With uh, two big names, although not big names at the time. Well, one of them probably was. It's the bloke who took over from Ben Chaplin on Game On. Yes, it was Game On, wasn't it? Yeah. Eating some crisps. And uh, Eddie Marsden, who goes on to be one of the great British character actors. And they have him eating crisps. But he eats crisps bloody well. Mike Lee was so impressed by his crisp eating that he brought him on... <laughs> For his next project. So they're there eating crisps, and then there's like a higher, a higher up officer, like a detective. But I record, I rewind this three times. I genuinely can't hear what he's saying because he eats, he's eating a sandwich throughout, and he has a lisp. And I, I, I don't know what he's genuinely don't, don't know what he said. And he's giving himself a speech impediment. Yeah, the, the whole point is you can't really understand what he's saying because of the speech impediment. Because that's funny. I get the sense that he's one of those very serious actors who worked very hard on that. Well, I couldn't, throughout the whole film, I couldn't get a word of what he said. <laughs> so he could have had, like, a big, big, meaningful role. I've got no idea. If it helps, um, he was just being a bit of a prick. 
I, I gathered that from his face. He, he was doing I am an angry face. Again, this film tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> Apart from the words. Yeah, Mike is not a fan of the show don't tell school of school storytelling. <laughs> what, what you would ideally like is, you know, the Star Wars crawling thing at the start of Star yeah, Wars. He would like that to just be the synopsis of the film. At any point, he can just leave after that. I know yeah. what's going to happen. Perfect. Michael's house is full of novelizations of popular films. <laughs> I can't see anything wrong with that. Just bookcase after bookcase of the novelization of Sex and the City 2. The novelization yes. of Avengers Assemble. Yeah. Now with added stickers. I mean, te- test me. Give me give me a popular film and I'll uh, I'll summarize it. 12 Angry Men. They're angry. Very good. There's 12 of them. <laughs> they're, not, they're a bit pissed off. Citizen Kane. It's very talky. Um, it's very long, chatty, 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 boring. And then um, there's the rose bud at the end, isn't it? The Rose Bowl. The, the football Isn't tournament. Rose Bush. <laughs> Rose Bush. The Rose Bush. I don't know. Fucking hell. I know, I know the um, Simpsons version of it. The yeah. wheels have really come off this one, haven't they? Right. Anyway, so Anna Anna has been arrested. She's been arrested. I genuinely can't make out what the officer said, but he looked angry. To try and get out of jail, they... Um, Anna gives the phone number of her baby daddy. Uh, he is trying to bang somebody. We know this because Jeterm is playing, and uh, he says that he doesn't know her. So she's now in prison for stealing peas. She's got a very specific mother-baby prison. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually did a little bit of um, adding up here as well uh, for the cost, because I know it's a comedy, and, you know, comedies can be a bit wacky and out there and stuff. But it didn't look that big a bag of peas, and I looked at the Sainsbury's website, and a 500-gram bag of peas is now £1.10, which in 1999 is about 60p. So she's going to prison for 60p. <laughs> On top of Where this... Each prisoner costs the taxpayer £40,000 a year. <laughs> <laughs> On top of this, does anyone notice the name of the prison keeps changing throughout the film? No. It's like no. it sets itself up as Wandsworth, then it's like Sandsworth, and then it like Scumsworth. It changes. <laughs> That's probably a joke, though. I don't think it is. Yeah. I reckon it is. It sounds like a joke. Mm, it does, though. <laughs> that was that was that was that must have been said like, so often you, on, the, you, on the set. It sounds like a joke. All right, we'll use it. I, there's a line coming up that I genuinely laughed at quite a lot. So, so okay. yeah, one of, in the next scene, one of the things I noticed was that it was a like a gag was that all the prisoners in there were being played by models, like high profile yes, models. Were. Jody Kidd uh, is in the yeah is in the next scene. Jody so. Kidd also playing a prisoner with a baby. Yeah, Sophie Dahl is there as well. Sophie Dahl, you brought your baby on set. Brought a baby. This is my boyfriend, Jamie Cullen. It's a height joke. I mean that. Oh, that is that is so dated already. Oh, it was it was oh. cutting edge in 1998. Also, uh, Nick Cave's <laughs> wife is on there. Really? Yeah, she's she's also one of the prisoners. I thought he was married to the devil. Oh, we all are deep down. She's now in prison, and they're getting food. Uh, Jody Kidd is also there trying to act. Uh, but there's a really nice line, I've, I thought it was genuinely quite funny, where Anna is saying to Jody, uh, oh, your baby's got lovely eyes. Did your did his uh, dad have similar eyes? Jody says, I don't know, he never took off his balaclava. Which to me is just a really funny mental image of two people banging and one's wearing a balaclava. That implies that this balaclava didn't have eye holes. Isn't the whole point of a balaclava? Yeah, yeah that'd be quite... <laughs> you can see... The one thing you can see are the eyes. 
That's why they were in prison. They didn't know where they were going. Or maybe they're just doing it doggy. I guess. Can't see. She's looking at the back. I just thought that was a funny line. Mm. Fair play. Well, I I tore it apart within five seconds, Mike. I don't <laughs> care. Look, you've got you've got to seek out um, joy where you can in these films. <laughs> They're still in prison, and the baby daddy is a TV presenter or something. Although yeah. I swear earlier it was said he was a lawyer. Well, no, he's he's a royal. He's a minor royal, so that might be why oh, you okay. misheard it as lawyer. He's a minor um, royal, a TV personality, and an aspiring MP for the Liberal Democrats. He's come to prison, and Anna thinks it's to get her out, but it's actually just a PR stunt because he's aiming to be an MP uh, for the Liberals. Which is probably a joke about some politician at the time getting, you know, someone pregnant and then having nothing to do with the child. Um, I'm glad we don't have that anymore. Wasn't that Paddy Ashdown? Satire! Didn't Paddy Ashdown? There we go. You bow down to my satire, damn it. (laughs) I spent more time on that than any of this film in script writers. I I think Paddy Ashdown had had a scandal about fathering a child. Paddy Panstown, yeah. I assumed it was late 90s, uh, a politician banged someone, got them pregnant, and then never had anything to do with the kid. That motif props up quite a lot throughout this film, so it's probably quite fun. It's so scattershot again. It's like I said, it's like tonal whiplash. It's like they're obviously trying to parody something, but they don't know what it is, but they'll just put it on this one character. And so he represents about five different things, none of which makes sense. So Anna, whose name is Maddie, basically she wants to go to therapy in prison because she's told by the other inmates that the therapist is really nice and they'll help you sort of get out and help you get through it. Uh, but she's accidentally tricked into re- agreeing to give up the child for adoption when she thinks she's signing up for prison therapy. She signs the contract. Her, it's then said that her conviction is 18 months. I think it needs to be stated again. This is for stealing a 59p bag of peas. Does she even steal it or does she just... <laughs> she popped it down at her top yeah. to cool her aching, leaking breasts. Yeah, you just stick it back in the freezer as long as you haven't opened it. Or you have a whip round. 60p. 60p. If the store said, Anna Free or press this against her. That's 5p every 90 days. <laughs> But it's it's 60p. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's anyway, satire, it's... Michael. Well, actually, no, this not that bit's not satire. It's she's lucky she didn't get deported. It's Chris Morris level satire. That is really making a statement. Again, I'm fine with it. It's a it's a comedy. It's lighthearted. It's 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 fine. It's alright. It's not good, but it's fine. Right. So then, next up, uh, Joanna Lumley arrives in prison, uh, and she's there to see uh, Maddie. And Maddie tries to. Uh, convince her to take the baby so the baby isn't adopted is this when she after she woke up with the baby like the baby was asleep still yeah yes there is a bit about how there's a joke there about how the baby slept through the night in prison and it doesn't when it's at home in that moment that baby was so still i was really worried the twist was going to be it had died oh (laughs) i mean probably not going to happen in a light-hearted PG comedy. But like I said, there's been various moments where like Anna Frills played it really sincerely, heart- like angry and heartbroken and everything. So I was like, are they? They might. I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> but so yeah, so she's agree. She's trying to convince uh, Joanna to take the baby, so the baby's not taken away. Uh, initially, Joanna says, "Absolutely not. No, I'm going away." Then some sad music plays. Do you mean abs? Uh, ab not. Hey. Uh, ab. Yeah, that's Ab-nuff. yeah, that is that is uh, what I um, meant. Um, um, sorry, can we take five minutes silence there for um, for Tom? Ab- just for Tom and the death of comedy. <laughs> it's like abfab, absolute. 
Well, you're giving me a good edit points anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so. Uh... There is one good shot at this point. There is one genuinely good shot at this point, but go on. There it is. Anyway, so initially, Joanna says, No, absolutely not. I'm not doing this. Um, but then some sad music plays, and her character completely changes. And then she agrees. Yeah. It's like it's like she can hear the music the film is playing over the top. Oh, of it oh goes, shit! Oh no, it is sad. Actually, I will I will do it. Yeah, I will do it. My character was in the completely <laughs> wrong place. Well, there's there's two uh, very big times in the film where she does completely change character in a in, yeah. in a oh yeah blink. You know, there's the yeah. thing about the women lads. They're very flippant. Very <laughs> Those flippant. mad yeah. cows. Oh, just, you um, said it. oh, satire. Nice. I, I just liked it that it sounded like the uh, yeah she was actually acting to the music that was playing over the top of the film. It was <laughs> I just quite enjoyed. That. Have you ever, I actually went to a, a recital when I was a student, and it was a guy whose job was to provide like a, a musical soundtrack to a silent film, and so he put on the um, Lon Chaney version of Phantom of the Opera from like the nineteen twenties, and it was cool to watch that he was watching the film going along and playing the piano and changing the mood to reflect what was going on, but. It was always like one second behind. So like something suddenly action packed happens is going action starts you know. So it's kinda like that with this. Maybe he was there on stage, but this time they were behind him. That was my uh, great grandma's job. Actually, she used to play the wow. piano for the, uh, in, in the talkies. Oh, the talkies! They were just getting really annoyed well, at her when, at that when... point. Hey! <laughs> well, you yeah, shut up, woman. You've been made redundant. <laughs> I assume she sold ice cream at half time as well. No, half time. The, piano, but... <laughs> the whistle blows three times. The orange segments get pulled away. A bloke cut. The, the manager of the theatre comes down. Right, lads, we need to really book up our ideas here. I want you laughing in the second half. Yep. Projectionist, we need twenty percent quicker from you. <laughs> if anyone's got any chuck ices, eat them now because you ain't getting them after. I like to imagine they also did that football grounds as well. Like one ice cream lady at halftime goes to the centre circle and everyone has to come down. <laughs> Queue up on the pitch. And there's just a bloke with an organ. <laughs> well, I'm imagining, you know, in the old timey things where they had to roll the film literally and going round and round and round. I imagine he had a shocker, but he was uh, the manager the manager of the cinema. He's, he's an arm around the shoulder sort of gaffer, you know. <laughs> Come on, son. You know you had a bad first half, but it's fine. Okay, get on the second. You can prove me, prove me wrong. My favourite story of uh, what felt like initially what it was going to be an arm over the shoulder, friendly talking to from a manager, was a pre-season friendly for Celtic. I think it was, and Martin O'Neill was in charge, and one of the players had had a shocking first half. And he came up to him at halftime and put his arm over his shoulder and said, "Don't worry, lad. You know what? When I see you out there, you remind me a lot of me as a player." And he went, really, Gov? He said, yeah, I'm 52, and I could play about that well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's quite funny, but I hate Martin O'Neill. <laughs> right, anyway, back to this baby. In plain sight of all the guards and all the other prisoners, they put uh, Anna's baby into Joanne's, uh, Joanna's handbag, and uh, the baby's now free. I kind of did have to point out why did no one wonder where the baby has gone? Um, <laughs> exactly. It took about twenty four hours to notice that the baby was missing. Well, 
but but at the same time, again, showing me what what is happening in the film, Anna Maddie is sad because she does some crying. Told me exactly what I needed to know. No, to be fair, like this is where there's actually a good bit of a filmmaking where there's a shot where she's in the pr- in her prison cell. It's a, a bird's eye yes. shot, and they move the walls into her to represent her increasing sense of uh, panic and isolation and uh, inability to escape. I think that's what I said by Maddie Assad, she does <laughs> Wow. You interpreted it, Michael. You understood the mise-en-scene. We? Oui. They showed, they didn't tell, and you understood. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So, next scene, uh, the therapist... Uh, who got Maddie to sign her baby away from a couple of minutes earlier, has found the couple and just told them that a baby is arriving tomorrow. They are happy because they're smiling. Oh, but they are a psycho couple. Oh, they are massively, yeah. Uh, did you recognise the woman? I recognise her from Frank Skinner's short-lived sitcom, uh, Shane, as the one. I recognise her as um, a character from Psychoville. Oh, okay. Specifically, Ooh, yes, yes, yes. That's specifically... She was uh, friends with Dawn French's character, who was also doting over a small baby toy as if it were a real child. Well, this is another irony, because I remember her from the Office Christmas special, where she'd taken over Gareth's old job and was sitting with Tim, and she was pregnant for the duration of the Christmas Mm. special, and was just a complete arsehole. And very good in that as well. And not in this... Well, in this one, like, or like Tom said, they are playing a complete psycho couple because they've like got a, a fake baby. A whole computer are... system set up. Yeah, I didn't really get that. But they've got this fake baby and they're, they're really going over the top and thinking it's a real one. And like I said, yeah, like Tom said, there's this computer system um, all about... Oh, it's just bollocks, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just bullshit. God, I thought you I thought know, this was an alright one. You seem to have actually grown to hate this film more than we have. <laughs> no, just the, the film itself. For, there is one scene in this film that completely redeems itself from any criticism for me. Uh, that's much later. Oh, I think I know which one it is. We'll get to it later. We'll get to it later. <laughs> anyway, the point is, there's a psycho couple who are getting a ba- who are getting Maddie's baby tomorrow, and they are very happy about this. We go back to prison the next day, and the therapist is there to pick up the baby. The guards are shocked that there is no baby. It's been 24 hours. <laughs> and and then they assume Maddie must have eaten it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, okay, fine. Uh, the detective with the annoying voice is back. Again, I can't understand a word he says. And the therapist is uh, telling her that by give, giving up the baby is a worthwhile thing to do because it'll make another couple really happy and being in prison is no life for a baby. Anna punches her in the face. And steals her clothes to escape, just like in the game Hitman. And steals her wig. Her clothes as well, wasn't it? Her clothes and wig uh, to make it look like um, therapy. Which is exactly like the game Hitman. Fine with that. <laughs> that was where they got the inspiration from. <laughs> <laughs> it might well have been. How are we going to get this bald man in any kind of situation? <gasps> <laughs> I remember. He can wear a different top. <laughs> I remember that 1998 cult classic of satire. <laughs> Mad cows. So, next scene is uh, Joanna Lumney goes to a posh hotel uh, to hide away from her fraud cases and the fact she has no money and the bailiffs are taking over her possessions in the house. Uh, an interesting point about the hotel. When you say interesting. Uh, it's it's later on in the film revealed that the hotel is in fact Buckingham Palace itself. Oh, okay. 
And uh, okay. all the hotel staff dressed as footmen and one manager dressed as the Queen are supposed to be the Queen's footmen and the Queen. And well, that's satire. It shows just how important that was that both of you noticed that and jumped on it with me. Great. I just I thought it was I thought I thought the gag was that it was like thematically royal. Like that Canada themed restaurant in Gremlins Two. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Of. That's Yeah, me as well. I was, I thought that. <laughs> But the idea was it's satire of the royal family. Yeah, okay. a- apart from the fact that it was just the royal family sold out and became a hotel. I wonder how much it would cost to have a rent place there. Lots. I was actually I was actually looking up properties the other day on Right Moving. You can now buy hotel rooms, like to live in all the time. Like pay a mortgage on a hotel room. That would be awful. Yeah, it wouldn't be nice. I I lived in a travel lodge for a bit, and that someone's was showing off. The- <laughs> that was the worst couple of months ever. It was horrible. Lenny there, Henry like, was know. next door. He was. <laughs> yeah, I would have. I would have loved to go to a Premier Inn. I love a Premier Inn. No one Lenny Henry. Yeah. Bye, bye, Chris. <laughs> every every night in bed, you just heard another lonely businessman next door crying and wanking. Crying, cry <laughs> Master cry. <laughs> That's one of the great cliches, isn't it? Now of the modern era, the crying wanking premier in. Hey, tears of <laughs> <on> the natural <laughs> lubricant. <laughs> Fuck the sad away. <laughs> There's an old Mark Watson joke. It's one of my favourites. You know, uh, I'm in, I'm in a travel lodge. I've got a can of Red Bull. I'm quietly thinking about death. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a joke. That's horrible. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> So, Joanna Lumley has gone to hide in the posh hotel. Anna, who is now free from prison, goes to Joanna's house, um, but has discovered the bailiffs are taking it and she's not there. There's an angry taxi driver out saying, Cool, blimey, because he's from the the Cockneys. And saying, Oh, she owes four grand in in minicabs. Is that how minicabs operated? Did minicabs ever operate on a put it on the slate business? They did for the film. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Anna says, Oh, can you take me to uh, Chelsea? Please, and he goes, "Yeah, all right." <laughs> Even though he's just been duped out of like a four grand bill, this happens to me every time. I'm such a bad just, businessman. Yeah, this um, this honor policy really isn't working out for them, is it? <laughs> then she sees a ladder as well and says, "All right, I love that," and puts it in the back of a car. But uh, fine, we'll just we'll let that one slide. She ends up at Chelsea at the uh, baby daddy's uh, house, and she climbs through the windows while he's asleep. Uh, he's naked and he covers covers himself up with, with a BAFTA. They chat for a bit and then they bang. Yeah, we see some frilled nipple. I didn't think we saw nipple. We saw his bum. No, no, it's genuinely. Really nipple. Play it back. Mm-hmm. Not quite as surprised as Topless Appleton, but um, <laughs> freed frill nipple. I did not expect. She does. Yeah, I think the whole point that she goes down to a bra without for no real reason. No, uh, she's outside with the ladder and then all right, my top's fallen off. Oh well, I'm not going to pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like this is a film that's being played up for like some sort of laddie audience either. So no, it doesn't. Not at all. Not at so all. I never. I was really baffled as to why it was there, as as, as well as the nipple. <laughs> like, <whoa. laughs> this, come on, Anna. You can't say that the script felt like it deserved it. <laughs> Look, at least Greg Wise got to cover it with a BAFTA. Anyway, so they they bang, and now because uh, he says that he's Mister and blah 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 blah. Anyway, they're fucking. Yeah, they have some very weird sex faces. Very say. weird sex. Yeah, they're just laughing the whole time. Does her does her hair not grow instantly in that scene as well? <laughs> like she's suddenly got long hair out of nowhere. Like she's put some extensions in. 
Or is it like those, you know, those Play-Doh things where you where you spin the wheel as it, the hair comes out? <laughs> that's what sex is, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's totally sex, yeah. He fucked her wig out. <laughs> that sounds filthier than it is. <laughs> it's a fairly normal sentence. In, in, it is. It sounds, I've used all those sounds, words in other sentences, but put them together and it's... <laughs> yeah, it sounds fucking vile. Banged her to a weave. <laughs> Uh, anyway, right, yes. Yeah, so Joanna Lumley is desperate for money, as she has debts everywhere, and she she ha- but she has a baby, so she decides to try and uh, get the baby signed up for a modelling contract <laughs> uh, with an early appearance from Sophie Okonodo. Yes, amazingly in this film for no good reason. Well, money, money, Tom, money, Tom. That's what she's there from uh, scenes of a sexual nature. That's what we saw her in previously, embarrassing Tom Hardy. In a field. Oh, yes. Making him yeah, turn to dogs. <laughs> that was it, yeah. Isn't he the new Bond now? Well, I don't believe that. Dog Bond. I personally don't and he's a, and he's a dog. He's a dog bother. <laughs> 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 the, name's, the name's Bond, James Wolf. Of you to a... Oh, hello. <laughs> I've dealt with my share of bitches before. What a wonderful bitch he is. Smooth shaft, wonderful bitch. Although he's got the... <laughs> <laughs> hey. Save him for the specials, Tom. <laughs> Have either of you heard the uh, Tom Hardy on the Tottenham documentary? Because his voice is bloody weird. He's a very strange. I don't. I think he's kind of like Christian Bale now, where he commits himself so much to different voices for all his different characters that he doesn't know what his real yeah, voice he, is he just anymore. Has a weird generic English voice that isn't quite English. It's more sort of. It's like he spent a few years in the late 1800s, early 1900s, India, as like some sort of Raja. <laughs> There's an accent famously called the Mid-Atlantic accent, which is basically what all the Hollywood movie stars of the 30s, 40s and 50s all had, where it wasn't any kind of American accent, but it had almost like theatrical British allusions to it. You know, that oh, Catherine yeah. Hedman, Darling, I won't do it, no, I won't. <laughs> I'll see you down there, buddy boy. Yeah. Isn't this a fine <laughs> how do you do? Go? <laughs> but, Isn't this a fine how do you do? Jose Mourinho's really gutting up the scruffy with these lads. It's, <laughs> it, it's not even that. Like, sure, the documentary makers, I know it's Amazon, but surely they, they must have spent a bit of money to get him. But it sounds is the voice he's doing on that is almost like stock footage if he could do it audibly. Who would you have cast uh, for, for a Tottenham? documentary well anybody but his voice is just so plain and nothingy in the in the documentary it's like well why have you paid for tom hardy you could have got any voiceover actor why would tom hardy do like a children's book at bedtime it's just because he can because he's tom fucking hardy i my choice personally would have been like a well it seems that jazz Abba radio has got something that he needs to tell these players afterwards Deli Alley. Rolf Harris. Well, to be fair, that is a better Australian accent than Anna Frail does in this film, so... She does a fine Australian accent. Shut you gob. We're at the talent agency, and there is some brilliant cutting our favourite word and our catchphrase of this this episode. Satire. About the modelling world and the fashion industry uh, that I half listened to. I'm sure it was very funny about how about how they lied about the baby's age to make it seem younger and how the baby had, you know, was fat, essentially. And the baby's rejected for not having it. Best moment in the film. She pulls a child forward going, go on, you'll do. And the child hits the deck with such, such force that every part of my being just went, I'm re-watching that four fucking times over. There you go. 
Yeah. And that little boy grew up to be <laughs> Freddy Heimer. Is your child committed to this or not? It's, it's a... <laughs> You get one more take. Stop crying. What you don't see is that at the bottom there's just a pit of death. It's actually a sad story. They killed four children before they got that take. We only brought six, so you got to make this count. Well, you were complaining about how the, the editing and stuff. It's because of all the lawsuits. They had no money left. They had to pay for four child funerals. They don't come cheap. Right, so Anna is now... Um, in a lovely post-bang general happiness mode. The baby daddy goes off to work, but actually is just going to bang a car by the looks of it. Cleaning the house, and she finds a, a videotape which shows that Alex, which is the baby daddy, is having an affair with a blonde lady from before. And she has a face which I think is supposed to be angry, but I can't work out if it's laughter or not. It's it's a confusing face. It doesn't really uh, show anything. The video, actually, there's a donkey involved, hence why yes. it's controversial. It's, it's like a sex tape sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah, with a donkey. Again, this is just sort of, well, when they were filming, it was the height of Tory sleaze. But I guess by the time it came out, they'd have been voted out of office. But yeah, satire. 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 So, Joanna Lumney can't afford to pay her hotel bill. So she hands over the baby to the desk as collateral. Collateral? Collateral. Collateral, yes. And then walks down the street while she's a lady. Whoa, 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 she's a lady, plays. People stare at her as if to say, is that <laughs> Joanne Lumley? That was, the way... <laughs> that was really, really good use of the general public as extras there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was no actors there. It's either aren't you Joanna Lumley or I swear to God you're someone's mum. Is that Joanna? What, what, what on earth is she doing there? Anyway, anyway the uh, hotel rightfully called the police. And obviously it's the detective with the unlistenable voice he picks up. Jo- well, Joanna literally doesn't give two shits. Uh, 20 seconds earlier, sees a picture of a baby in a shop and then instantly runs back to the hotel in a second of a momentary character changes it, it, entirely. She couldn't have cared less. Oh shit, the soundtrack's changed again. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, this was it. This was basically it. Someone changed the track. <laughs> I was doing Tom Jones a second ago. <laughs> well, someone tell the bloody music supervisor to stop doing that. Is this on shuffle? Is this actually making like, sense? Whoa, 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 she's a lady. The song ends. She looks at a picture of a baby in the shop and goes, Oh no, I've just done something awful. And <laughs> oh no, a baby. <laughs> she couldn't, she could not have cared less. Maybe she thought that the giant picture of the baby in the shop was like, the king of the babies and is passing judgment on her. To be fair, that is the only explanation because when the way she was strutting and having fags off people with sunshine, lollipops, <laughs> it, it may as well have been that. She, she, ha, ha. It's like, oh, fuck a baby. Oh, yeah. And then the song ends and she just runs back. It's like, oh no, I've just given a child. But it's just, oh, anyway, so that's the second of a, of a major uh, character changes on, on a blink of an eye so now she gets the baby back and to get money she decides to become a sex worker has she always been a sex worker i couldn't work that one out i think she's i think she's done it before and just kind of in and out of the game oh, okay because she normally just goes after rich men but anyway just when i think i'm out they pull me back in <laughs> so we'll maybe get paid extra for pulling mm. And then the joke is that the guy has braces well yeah she bangs an, an ugly looking guy for money she's wanking him off but under the bed sheets, it looks like she's just like patting a dog that's underneath there as well. Because she doesn't seem to be anywhere near the actual bloke when she's wanking him, apparently. <laughs> Unless he's very gifted. <laughs> well, the bloke is, you can tell he's supposed to be ugly. When she's in mid-wank, does the music suddenly change and she has like a weird epiphany? <laughs> because that 
That just seems her MO now. The radio alarm goes off and it's like, oh, oh I'm. <laughs> yeah, suddenly she knocks on the radio and she hears fucking paranoid android. Oh no, the baby! Well, no, I, I just liked it because it's like. It's not a particularly attractive man, but you can tell he's supposed to be ugly because he's losing his hair. He's a bit fat and wears glasses. It's like, I've made myself feel bad. Aww. If you don't have braces. Or a really aggressive Northern Irish accent. Yeah. It's probably coming. So she finishes him off, and literally the second he comes, the baby starts crying, which has got to be the worst ever for the bloke. <laughs> he's just got, how magic is my spunk? <laughs> I thought I had at least nine months to get ready for this. <laughs> Anyway, the uh, baby starts crying. He's like, oh, what's that baby doing here? Oh, this is weird. She tells him that she's from the News of the World or a paper. Just that explains the baby. (laughs) Yep, that'll be fine. He runs runs away. She nicks the money and his wallet as well. The prearranged money, fair enough, but not the wallet. Come on, you're better than that. Next, Joanna, still desperate for money, goes to an older rich guy. Uh, You can tell he's rich because he has um, fancy whiskey glasses on his table. She's banged him before. She tricks him into thinking that the baby is his. So he look financially looks after her and gets her a house. So she's gone from being a prostitute to blackmailing someone in about two minutes. Not blackmailing just anyone. Blackmailing what I believe is an MP. Don't forget this is satire, Mike. Uh, because okay. later on in the film, Alex, is it the, the father? And the MP, who is just literally known in the credits as politician. <laughs> <laughs> They have a conversation, and they're both into politics, so... Hang on, you watch the credits. <laughs> I was rolled to credit off DVD extras. He's got 60 away. minutes of DVD extras to work through. <laughs> you know every time we watch a film and I do a deep dive on IMDb? Mm. This one took the quickest I've ever done for a deep well, dive on IMDb. This is actually the first film uh, that hasn't got a Wikipedia page that we've done. Has it not? No, because normally I go to, when I'm doing notes, uh, when I'm doing the plot, I, I'd read that in, to make sure I've got the plot notes right. So when you're on, like, Anna Friel filmography, that's the one in the red ink. <laughs> <laughs> Anna gets dressed uh, dressed up and goes to a fancy party in the hope of finding Joanna Lumney and, therefore, her baby. Maddie gets drunk, uh, calls the father out, and she has a fight with the blonde lady he's having an affair with. Although it's not an affair, because they're not going yeah. out. They just have a baby together. They even calls her the fiancé at one point, so... She gets drunk, calls somebody out, and has a fight. You can take the girl out of Brookside. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, the girl's having a fight, and the older dude, who who is a politician, apparently... He's there talking to Alex, saying, "Oh no, I've got this. I've got Joanna Lumley pregnant, and I've got to look after uh, the this baby, and got them a house in the Isle of Dogs." And Alex is like, "Oh no, it's actually my baby. Joanna's lying. Uh, blah blah blah. They're living in the Isle of Dogs. You say fine. Now, despite Maddie being nowhere near them, she knows exactly where to go from the back of this conversation to the exact door number." This is the politician as well. This was the one line of dialogue I wrote down in the whole film. Australians are the Irish of the South Pacific. Yes. Fucking hell. Um, I think but there is one... there is clearly a missed scene here where uh, Anna yeah, finds out. No, there, there is a scene that you missed, Michael. Because oh, that's one uh, with the mother-in-law, isn't it? Yeah, she has a talk with with Alex's mum, uh, the lady, whatever her face is. I think she finds out from her where um, G- is it Jilly or Gillian, the character's name Joanna Lumley Joanna is, Lumley is hiding. 
Oh, okay. Then I missed that completely. Sorry. The mother-in-law, again, is one of those very, very well-respected actresses. You know, she, I don't know if she's a Red Grave or one of those lot, you know. And I think she'd famously played that importance of being Ernest's character. So you've got a handbag again. A handbag. Did you get that reference, Mike? Let's say yes. Anna knows where the baby is. She goes to the baby. Uh, however, so Joanna Lumley now is like this master mother um, who's you know doing everything <laughs> sorry, perfectly. Sorry, she's like a what? Sorry, master mother. I'd I'd aim with matriarch, but fine. Master mother, it is. Master mother. She's really good at being a mum. She's brilliant at it. She's having a whale of time. Loves this baby now, despite literally giving it up to a hotel two days ago. But anyway, so Anna's got the baby back, but Anna has forgotten how to be a mum again. Despite this film is a week. <laughs> I know she's been through some trauma, but it's not been that long that you don't you forget how to change a nappy. This is the bit where the baby catches a sight of, like, uh, she's reunited with the baby and the joke is the baby's reunited with her breasts. Yeah, she picks up the baby and the baby, it goes to a baby's point of view with the camera and it's just looking down. So, to give this away, like... The baby has a slight spark. Yeah, in our, WhatsApp com- in our WhatsApp conversation, Michael said there was one bit in the film that made him laugh out loud. I will admit to you, Michael, as I now re- re- read through my notes, baby smiles at sight of Anna Friel's boobs. Is this the point Michael laughed? <laughs> it's not, actually. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually not. <laughs> I, I thought less of you and I apologise. <laughs> no, you were right. You were right to think that way. <laughs> I was slapping my thigh. <laughs> we're on we're on series three of this. You've, I think you got to know me quite well. Um ordinarily probably yes, but I, th- th- that was not the uh the moment in the film where I laughed. Mm. Uh I, I laughed earlier on at the uh Jody Kid joke. This is about an hour into the film, so your brain's been numbed at yeah. that point. <laughs> Sorry, Michael. What, what did you laugh at? I laughed at the Jody Kidd line earlier on about with the balaclava. Oh. Yeah. Did you, Did you not laugh at the child hitting the deck? Because <laughs> that for me was my fucking highlight. Uh, seeing as I work at a school, I would never laugh at anything like that, Tom. I, I'd, I'd find it a, quite an ordeal, actually. They're reunited. Anna's got a baby. Uh, Joanna Lumley is a better mum than Anna right now. That's about it, really. Uh, the therapist comes back in. Maddie and Joanna Lumley are having a walk in the park. Alex, the baby daddy, runs and declares his love to Maddie. But actually, it's a setup because he's arranged with the therapist uh, to, that they're going to be in the park and uh, the therapist will take the baby back and give it back to the adopted parents from earlier on. So he runs over to Maddie and says, Oh, God, I've missed you, I've missed you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Um, and they start necking on a bench. Because of that, uh, Joanna Lumley goes back to the to the pram and the therapist pushes Joanna Lumley over and steals the baby. So, yeah, this was, this was one of my notes as well. You want to talk about inconsistencies. So between her losing the baby and them resolving how to get the baby back, it's about three minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's not... Not long. <laughs> so they go to the go to the babysitter's house, the, the new parents' house. Yeah, say, they go to the, the prospective adopted. We're yeah. doing up a follow up check. Follow up check. The guy only dropped the baby off three minutes ago. <laughs> Look, we're not sure you lot can handle three minutes of this baby. So, <laughs> so Joanna Lumley is pretending to be from the agency. One uh, one of the notes as well from her getting a the baby getting stolen. Stunt Lumley working very hard to not reveal they're a bloke in a wig. 
well, th- this is another inconsistency coming up. So Lumni asked for a cup of tea whilst holding the baby. The adoptive mum says, yes, of course, all right, I'll go make you a cup of tea. Joanna Lumley then steals the child. Now, to get to the flat, she walked up some stairs. <laughs> but as she's got the baby in hand, she just walks through and... She's no, on no, the she doesn't go upstairs car. to get the baby. That's not a flat, that's a house. Well, she goes up the stairs, definitely. No, she doesn't. Did because I rewinded it. Really? She went up some stairs... And then she gets hold of the baby, and then anyway, she's next. She's on the ground floor with the car, with the getaway car, and they go away. Now, either Joanna Lumley holding the baby jumped off a balcony, <laughs> maybe, or that house needs major construction work, and it's just got a slide. <laughs> the thing that bothered me at various points during this sequence, it was being done in one shot, but they sped it up. It's like. Yeah, it goes very Benny Hill very quickly. <laughs> you know, it's taking ages for Lumley to get to the door. We'll just cut it so she's at the door. <laughs> we don't need it to suddenly go Benny Hill speed, like you say. We're chasing for a baby. So anyway, they've got the baby now, but they decide to go to Alex's mum, the posh woman from before, and they ask her to help escape because this is becoming a right drama. Oh, also, at this point, can we remember, we got this far... On the back of stealing a 60p bag of turkeys. <laughs> satire? Uh, is it satire or is it just a comedy? Uh, comedy? Um... Is it? I don't know. Is it just <sighs> shit? <laughs> I just realised actually, because I made this note and I never followed it up. Because at some point someone drop, like gets knocked over or a rake is knocked over. And you get a close up on that rake on the ground. So I just make a note. Someone a better step on that rake. And I just realised, no one steps on that rake. No, no, Alex, Alex steps oh, on it. Oh, he does? Okay. Yeah, he All pulls right. the rake out of his foot as he goes through there. Oh, so they don't even do, like, the sideshow Bob thing. He literally just gets no, no, no. stabbed in the foot with a rake. Yeah. Right, so we now have three car chases. So basically we have uh, Joanna Lumley, the mother, Alex's mum, and Maddie in one car, an open-top car with a rainbow umbrella sticking out of it. For a car chase, where you're trying to be stealthy. A really low effort car chase as well, it has to be said. <laughs> well, then... It's like got about the same intensity of you following your aunt's car to get to McDonald's that they know and you don't know. And yeah, it's... <laughs> it's about that level of fight. Come on, this one does the best nuggets. <laughs> but, so we've got... <laughs> they give me an extra one because I give them the eye. <laughs> No, you actually gave him the eye. It's a glass eye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have a bartering system this far into the Midlands. You can lick it for a penny. You know it's a uh, a car chase scene uh, between uh, Maddie, Alex, baby daddy, and the adopted parents because uh, my favourite game by the Cardigans is playing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> the high Oh, it's some also, uh, in the interest of fairness, I spent the next 20 minutes uh, looking up the cardigans and wondering what they're up to. What now. are they up to now? Well, st- they are still touring. Exclusively in the darkest areas of Sweden. But they- it made me remember the Gran Turismo album, which is cracking, because it's got some bangers on there, like Hanging Around and Erase Rewind. I know later on you're going to do uh, Don't Watch That, Watch This. I'm going to do Don't Watch This, Listen to That. That's not a... <laughs> You can't palindrome that, Michael. I'm the host. My rules. <laughs> you should. You should never give me power. You know this. <laughs> I'm trying to think. 
they, Amadi and Joanna Lumney, agree with a deal with the rich old lady, Alex's mum, that Maddie can escape uh, if old lady is allowed to see the grandson for one month or every year. She agrees. Yep, that's grand. Uh, now we've got the therapist car and Alex's car. They're chasing it. They go a bit wrong and they have a have an accident, have the car smash. Now we see uh, in the distance Alex's car, which is his pride and joy. Uh, that has been smashed up. And then this film is forgiven for everything. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> it's yeah, absolutely no, it's forgiven. Not. 100% is. And I cannot never criticize I was walking by. I'm so fucking happy you mentioned <laughs> because it. Because the car is crashed. And he's he's stumbling out and going, oh, no, my car's crashed. This is my pride and joy. And then Lala from the Teletubbies See, arrives. I, I will admit. And says, uh-oh. I will admit I was looking away from the screen for a couple of minutes at that point. Okay. <laughs> And then suddenly fucking Lala shows up. And I was like, I must must have missed something that establishes why this is happening. Like they've got onto a CBBC set. You know what that... Star Wars puts people into Stormtrooper outfits. This film puts people as fucking Teletubbies. You know what this reminds me of? Why not? It was fucking brilliant. It reminds me of those (laughs) atrocious, atrocious films... They were coming out for a while in the mid noughties like date movie, epic movie, Meet the Spartans, where they just drop someone in from a film that's come out that year. And it's just, no, so that was wrong. just, uh, we need a joke here. Put a Teletubby in it. You're wrong. This was fucking it's brilliant. It's satire. <laughs> it was wonderful. This it was, was wonderful. so bad. <laughs> so daft, so silly. Perfect. So completely it. unnecessary. Film is saved. It might even be virtual sexuality <gasps> just because of that. Oh my god. <laughs> film. So that's saved. all it takes now. So that the next film that has two Teletubbies in it <laughs> automatically. Only if, only if it's unexpected. Unexpected Teletubbies. Following... That's what Michael likes. <laughs> that's what Michael likes. <laughs> Telling, not showing. Unexpected Teletubbies. <laughs> and, and satire. Film saved. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> right, we've got one final bit to go. I think. Uh, oh, yes, so, no. Maddie now jumps on a boat uh, that's heading to Australia, even though she's on the fucking River Thames. <laughs> that boat must be all petrol. <laughs> <laughs> now, again, show don't tell. We know she's happy because she is smiling. Of, and it's on. She's on the boat, but it's on the back of some truly awful '90s green screen. Uh, and she's with the baby, and they're having a great time sailing on the ocean. You're the joking. very final shot before it goes to credit. The very final shot, the green screen cuts out, and you just see a background <laughs> <laughs> and another Teletubby. <laughs> End of film. And fucking the, brilliant. And the boat was captained by Amadjilili. You're welcome. Playing a Greek uh, this time. Before we round off the film, can we just take a moment to appreciate that Prunella Scales appeared throughout the film and we have not mentioned her once. <laughs> yes. She's what's called a Greek chorus. And that's why Ahmed Jalili's character is Greek as well. The themes. <laughs> Satire, probably. <laughs> and Lala was invented by Prince Philip, <laughs> a Greek. This wasn't a film that like raised my hackles as much. Like I said, it was sort of a bridge between Honest and Fat Slags. It was somewhere in between both those films, and not as bad as either of them. 
but still, still fucking awful. It, for me, it's up there with some of the shittiest I've ever seen. It's just a mess. It's it doesn't know what it, it really is. is. It, you know, what I think the biggest problem is is the script. Yeah, and and it was based on a really popular, like you know, zeitgeist-defining chiclet novel of that era. I remember being in like shops, supermarkets, but not just like regular bookshops, but in supermarkets or in like Virgin Megastore. In their rack of books, you'd see Mad Cows there alongside like Train Spotting by Irvine Welsh and Ben Elton's Popcorn. White those teeth sort and of stuff books, like that. you know. Yeah, White Teeth. Yeah, exactly. So it was of a. It was of its moment, but there's nothing. I'd, I'd, I'd be curious to read the book to see if there's much to it. Because there is nothing in this film. I think it must have been lost in translation, lost in adaptation. Because it's just or a it's mess. Or just that everyone was on fucking pills in the 90s. Yeah, well, I wonder if it's because it's supposed to be about like the, the psychosis of... like it seems. I think it's meant to be sort of a trying to address like postnatal depression or something like that. But you just get no... See, this, is, this is what I was going to jump on. Because during the scene where she's at Alex's house... During the scene where she's at Alex's house, yeah. she's obsessively, not just cleaning, obsessively cleaning. Yeah. I thought that was alluding to her perhaps losing part of reality. But then it just goes to nothing. It's a knockabout, it's a knockabout silly comedy. It's daft, it's nonsense. That's like, it's not supposed to be taken seriously. I get that, Michael, but I don't think I told Anna Friel that. Because she's in a completely different film to the rest of them a lot of the time. I thought she was brilliant in this. I thought she was trying her best. I thought she was incredibly likeable, very charismatic. Okay, not I don't think the jokes were particularly funny, but they were delivered well. I can see why some people would think they're funny. I thought she was fantastic. I thought she tried her best, but there was nothing that could be salvaged from it. Yeah, she did the best with what she was given. What she was given was a big bucket of shit. And again, it did feel a bit like they were trying to have her... Like I said, was was Helena Bonham Carter busy that day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the casting call. Well, like I said, I don't know why you don't cast an actual Australian in the role as well. But it's just... All that, yeah. Like I said, the tonal whiplash is all over the place. There's absolutely no consistency to her baby daddy character i don't get what he was what his motivation was whether he was in love with her or not no, at any point I, I don't get why he was a tv personality that didn't play into anything i didn't get why he was meant to be part of royal royalty that didn't play into anything i think it's just it was just again scattershot no idea what they wanted to do with that character but they wanted to say something they just didn't end up saying anything with him he did have one good bit where he threw his cigarette into the car window that was a good gag yeah I feel like that's something he just he improvised on the sets. It's like, can Probably. I get something? Also, Joanna Lumney changing her mind more than the Big Show changes face and hair <laughs> in wrestling. What the fuck is that about? That happened twice, to be fair. Twice in the film. About three times. Because you realised, like, in that one section as well, she's saying she's going to be a better mum than Anna Frail. And it takes her 16 minutes to go, you'll be a better mum than I ever would. Make your mind up. What are you? I... Absolutely couldn't see anything wrong with this. Completely acceptable. Silly, silly, daft, nothingy film. It didn't have to think about it. That's the problem. It's a half. nothing Perfect. film. What's wrong with that? I think it wanted you to think about it. That's why it was trying to make satirical points, but they just all missed everywhere. I think you think it was a nothing, but they don't think it was a nothing. They thought they were saying something with this film, and they didn't. I don't think they no, did. No, I think they did. Like, I think... Like when Tom noticed out the prison changing names from Wandsworth to Scumworth, I that's that's a joke. I don't think it is. 
I think they deliberately couldn't work out what the prison was called. They kept changing the name of it. Again, it's not my uh, humour, but I've, they had some funny bits in it. I think it's just a daft, silly film. Same same way Bottom isn't supposed to be taken seriously. I'm not comparing it to Bottom. But you, you watch the ga- but you watch the Gas Man episode, you don't think it's about two working class people who can't work, uh, afford a gas bill. You think it's two daft lads hitting each other with pans. But It's it's a daft, stupid thing. Not, it's allowed- there's not even an attempt at a satirical point in Bottom. What this point film is trying to portray is PTSD, uh, post- Natal depression. I don't think it is in the slightest. I just think it's a stupid. It absolutely comedy. is. At least that's what the novel was doing. They called it Mad Cows for a reason. You can even make a case for Joanna Lumley's character having fucking bipolar disorder by being flippant with money and ever changing personalities and moods. You could make all these cases, and then if you genuinely spent time, if you genuinely spent time working on a, a heartfelt script about that, and not making a knockabout comedy, make it a genuine. Making a genuine drama about like it would be shit po- about postnatal depression in the late nineties. That would have been fine. I would have enjoyed that. No, you wouldn't. It would have been long, dreary, boring, and it would have lasted. Three no, hours. you would have. You would have hated it. I would have enjoyed it because I actually can appreciate things beyond. Oh, they fell down. Isn't that funny? I'm not from the Miranda in, in a, generation of entertainment. In a in a in a comedy, yes. In a comedy, I want to laugh. You could have still made a blackly funny, like darkly funny film about depression and how women get ignored oh. or something like that. But again, that's not what this film did. It just. I'm not saying it was great in one of my favorite films. I'm just saying I found it perfectly acceptable. I didn't find I didn't find it bad. You were comparing it favorably to virtual sexuality a moment ago. <laughs> it's up there. They're very close, very close. But I just think this was absolutely fine for what it is. I would give it a two out of ten. Tom, what would you go? I gave I gave it a one. You gave it a one. I just I hated this because it just seemed tonally all over the place. The script was terrible. The direction could have been better the acting they did what they could with what was there it just uh the editing as well was shit yeah. i couldn't i just couldn't enjoy it i think you get a sense of the inexperience of everyone involved and that this was just like they didn't know what they were making and then they just had to try and salvage it in the edit and they didn't know how but say something nice then tom what would be your nice um, thing the child hitting the <laughs> fucking deck is what i'm gonna say nice that was my moment i will love that forever in fact, I'll give the star. I'll give this a two rating purely for the child hitting the deck. Mike, like a specific thing that you liked about the film, uh, without going too wanky and woke, but I liked it was two female leads. Um, I thought Anna was incredibly likable. I really enjoyed her, and the Teletubbies was fucking brilliant. I, I was going to claim the shot, the overhead shot. Like the woman who directed it, she did have a good reputation going in. Like she won awards for short films, and then she did this. Then a very divisive film called. Um, very Annie Mary, which has its detract has a lot of detractors but some supporters. And then she did a Lindsay Lohan film in Hollywood. Yeah, I uh, Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. Yeah, which I haven't seen, but I also think that was one of the first films Alison Pill did as well. But um interesting interesting uh, CV she had. She she had ideas and she wanted to do exciting things, she just didn't necessarily know how to do them at this point. It was like Dutch angles. There's one moment when she does like the Spike Lee the characters are moving, but they're standing still. Thing, yeah. I was like, Why the I fuck are you that. doing the Spike Lee shots in this moment? At this time? It felt like she was just she had picked up bits from other filmmakers, yeah. threw it in there because she liked the look of it, and it just didn't land on any of it. Shaky camera stuff and point of view stuff. So it was like there was a desire to do something kinetic and exciting, but I don't know, it just wasn't there in the script, and it wasn't there in execution. 
But I think she herself, like, was worried that this had ended her career, so she was kind of relieved to at least... She did another film a few years ago called Vinyl, which looks like it... It's got a fun premise. I've I've heard of this, yeah. So she's still working, and I get the sense that maybe... Maybe Mad Cow's kind of took her a few steps back, because I really want... To, I remember seeing clips of the short film that she did that looked really interesting. It starred uh, the actress Liz Smith, you know, who's just professionally an old lady for about 20 years. Like, you could see some raw talent in there, and like I said, like, that overhead shot of the walls literally closing in on her were really cool. Maybe she would have been really good at music videos, I don't know. I don't think she's got any to a CV that I'm aware of. Uh, but what I will actually say to Defender is that I actually thought if if you take out the bipolar nature of it and the character swerving backwards and forwards, I thought there were some moments where Joanna Lumley showed some good acting chops in her being a woman suddenly, try, suddenly seeing a different side of herself looking after this baby. It's like you say, it's like within 10 seconds. But like, I thought there were moments, especially in that hotel room where she's reflecting with herself yeah. and the baby and she says I never thought I'd be trouble having this much trouble with a younger man in bed or stuff like that I actually thought there was some good stuff in there that could have been explored in a better film you know yeah like Lumley yeah, could have exactly. done something really good with that like sometimes I think Lumley gets a bit unfairly maligned as like a model turned actor that kind of had one great role and that was it you know, I think she's more than that I loved her turn in Wolf of Wall Street do you remember that yes when uh, when Leonardo DiCaprio tries to get off with her. Yeah. And it's so funny, like, that to an American audience is just this very, like, prim-looking, you know, older woman. But to us, the, the British audience, when I remember when she turned up on screen, there was, like, a big laugh in the audience that, you know, it's fucking Joanna Lovely. She's about to get off with Leonardo DiCaprio. Do you think she waived her fee that day? <laughs> I think Leo waived his fee that day. <laughs> In fairness, she's probably an appropriate age. Yeah, for him. yeah. Whoa, it's about the same. It's about the same sort of radius, isn't it? If you were to, if you were to go equally on either side of his age, you know, if that's one end of his age range, then she probably is the right one on the other end. Because he, he's like pushing fifty, isn't he? And he goes out exclusively. Like, if you were Leonardo DiCaprio, you'd be doing exactly the fucking same. I love the uh, Tina Fey's introduction to him at the Golden Globes. Now, like a supermodel's vagina, let's give a warm welcome to Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> uh, he, I think he took the joke in his stride. Yes, it's hilarious. I shag supermodels. Oh no! <laughs> and we'll do for the rest. You've got me. He's got, what's funny with Leo is Leo clearly has his moments when he's not making films that he gets a bit bloated and doesn't look after himself as much. He's definitely going to be in his sixties, seventies. Jack Nicholson, a fucking mess to look at but still on a boat with models <laughs> he'll, he'll go for Brando mate I don't think he'll go that bad because I think he's got a bit of vanity when he plays the roles he loses the weight for the roles and then it's the times in between he'll let himself go he'll get a little monkey <laughs> butler he'll hire several Native American women to wash him and collect his awards <laughs> on his behalf uh, how do we make it better I think you kind of said either make it you, you want to go down the drama route I think I, I just think a better script essentially is what it needed. It was it was a mess from the start. Film saved, got a telly tubby in it. <laughs> anyway, after that, it's time for Hey you don't watch that. Watch this. Well, I've already done my uh don't watch this, listen to that. <laughs> By the cardigans. What luddle luddle or whatever you're calling that one. <laughs> I can I can do that I can do the voice though. Hey, you, don't watch this. Listen to that. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. I don't remember, wow, I don't wow, remember wow. that madness song. 
Sorry, go on. Sorry, when me, you when you tried to do the cardigans there, all I heard was dan I mean, that I would be perfectly on board with that as well. Yeah, we went through a few <laughs> suggestions. One one thing I thought we could do, because like I said, Anna Friel's unfortunately not really got a filmography to recommend anything. I've, I know some people love Land Girls. I never got around to seeing that. That was around the same time as this. Um, the woman who plays the counsellor actually has some really fascinating roles to her. Like, she was acting for years. She was in she was in a great horror film called Peeping Tom. And I was thinking thematically about a struggling mother who, who finds help from an un, unlikely older friend. You could almost go with I, Daniel Blake. Uh, but my suggestion, as far as a film that actually addresses the madness surrounding a pregnancy or motherhood, uh, was the recent horror comedy film Prevenge, uh, written by uh, and directed by and starring uh, Alice Lowe. Really, really a, a, a well-thought-out film. So, yeah, there we go. Prevenge. Is there anything else left at this point other than what are we doing next time? Uh, no, no. We are, ve- we're not staying far afield from where I'm sitting right now anyway. I think any of us are sitting. But it was a film that once we knew of its existence, we don't care whether this film's good or bad. We just think this is a film that has to be discussed. We're going back to the 70s to watch Take Me High, the final film in the short-lived acting career of Cliff Richard. He plays a whiz kid businessman who decides to escape the light and the fast-paced business life to settle down in Birmingham and set up a burger restaurant. I love it already. Is there a Teletubby in it? <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll be lucky to get a Wurzel or even a Womble. No, we should get we should get a Phantom Flanflinger if it's in oh, Birmingham. Oh, of course, yeah. We? Or Brum. Brum might drive across. Maybe look at see Rosie and Jim on a canal. But anyway, uh, if you want to get in touch with the show, it's bowobpodcast at gmail.com. Bowobpod is our Twitter handle and our uh, Facebook account. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, it's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Apple N for November. Uh, that's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Let's Box. If you want to listen to my wrestling podcast, that's called Let Me Tell You Something. Uh, gentlemen, do you want to give your connections? And my name is Michael Bell, as you should know by now, because you've been listening to me for anywhere between an hour to an hour and a half. Uh, if you want to talk to me on Twitter, it's at MichaelBell86. Uh, that's my name. That's when I was born. Uh, Facebook, find me, but I'm kind of, I think I'm going to delete it. Uh, just can't be bothered with it anymore. And Instagram, it's at Moon on a Stick. Or I also review benches. Uh, if you would like to send me a bench, it is uh, on Instagram at bench underscore spotting. Uh, DM me a bench and I will review it for you. Well, well, can I ask now, Michael, by the time this episode is released months from now, will you have finally reviewed my bench in Coventry? Yours is written. It's just not being published. Publish it, you coward! <laughs> and uh, if you want to talk to uh, a man who doesn't give a fuck about benches, you can speak to me. You can speak to me. Uh, Tom Hodkinson, uh, that's Tom spelled T-H-O-M because I've got post-natal depression. So it's Tom Hodkinson, uh, that's uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Bebo, MySpace, Habit Hotel, J-Date, and other such things. Also, if you want to speak to Mike and myself as a double act, <gasps> you can do. It's comedy, it's comedy well, back though. Like, Well, well I mean... We we could still we could still take bookings. You can find me and Michael doing a comedy double act. 
at the Kamikaze Club or Kamikaze Club HQ at gmail.com. Uh, if you do fancy leaving a review on iTunes, that'd be lovely because that pushes us up the charts. And uh, subscribe. If you're at a dinner party uh, and people leave their phone out on the table, grab their phones and press press it on their podcast app and subscribe that way as well. We we have no shame in how we get our numbers up. Anyway, uh, yes, thank you very so thank you very much for listening. Right, so we spent the last hour and something, depending on editing, reviewing a, a film that has been made, that has been financed, that has directors, uh, actors who have everyone is much more successful than us. So we've been taking the piss out of this film for however long. However, this week, I went to throw some clothes out at the tip. And I'm I'm there at the tip and I'm putting the clothes in the clothes bin. And a woman (laughs) sort of looks at me and says, if you're wearing that, (laughs) and pointed at me wearing a jumper, a normal jumper, I thought, and some shorts. If you're wearing that, what on earth are you throwing away? Bye! Bow down to my satire, damn it.